You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we're going to be talking about these long straddle earnings option strategies that we started backtesting. In fact, we've actually done a lot of backtesting, a significant amount of backtesting in the earnings trading space, and we'll be publishing a report on that here in the next couple months. Uh, those of you who are lifetime members, obviously, will get that. Everyone else, obviously, will have to just purchase access to the report. It won't be that much, maybe a couple hundred bucks or so. But what we've been doing is a lot of testing around earning strategies. So going back in time, about 10 years or so, longer if we can get the data, and trying to test these hypotheses around earnings trades, what works, what doesn't, what are the strategies that ultimately can help us optimize what we're doing. And the whole idea behind doing this is basically taking what we've already done for regular option strategies, I guess, or like core option strategies in what we did with the trade optimizer and the profit matrix report where we test a lot of variations to see if there's any tweaks that we can make. What we're trying to do here is test some variations to see what tweaks we need to make, if any, around how we trade earnings. And so as I start digging further and further into the research now that everything's done and I have mountains of data to go through myself. It'll be interesting to see what we kind of find, but I wanted to do a little case study today on some of these long straddle uh, earning strategies because I think they're really popular. Uh, people oftentimes uh, go through an earnings cycle, maybe even just like two cycles in a row where they see that the stock is making these incredible moves, huge moves. It's expected to make a you know $3 move and then the stock moves 10 bucks, right? And so the natural inclination is for people to then want to trade and buy long straddles heading into earnings. So buy a long call, long put at the money or even a little bit out of the money, assuming that the stock is going to make this huge move and try to profit from it. But what we often teach and what we coach people is that it just doesn't happen that way. It's not the case that the stock always consistently long-term, right? Because that's what we're talking about, not one-off scenarios, but long-term consistently moves more than expected. The market's smart enough to overcorrect and implied volatility always still overshoots the expected move on average. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at, I think, three interesting case studies in this. And I literally just picked these at random because I'm going through this stuff, but I wanted to do these because I know that they have big moves. And that's really what it was about. So the three ones we're going to look at today are three popular stocks, Apple, Chipotle and Facebook. Many of you know, if you've been trading with me for a while, that Chipotle is like my nemesis around earnings. It seems like we go through a cycle where we have really bad earnings trades in Chipotle where it just like moves against us. And then recently we've gone through cycles where it's done really well for us. And so for me, I definitely want to pull out Chipotle and kind of like pick on that little burrito for a moment just because I wanted to see what the actual results were for Chipotle. And then Apple and Facebook are very popular, very big name companies, lots of liquidity around them and and tend to be big movers. I mean, we tend to see Facebook and Apple um, move as well. So in part of backtesting that we did, 
so that you guys know kind of the, the background. We did about 50 different uh, stocks because there's, we thought that that was probably a good sample size, 50 different companies. We did you know everything from like the Googles and the Teslas and Netflix uh, to the GEs and the Dows and stuff like that and JP Morgan and you know all that stuff. So when the research comes out, we'll have a lot more data on this and kind of solidify this. But again, I wanted to kind of pick on these three today and just uh, go through what we tested. We also went back and we started testing uh, different strategy types. So do we go directional at all in anything? Do we do long straddles? Do we do short straddles, long strangles, short strangles, iron butterflies, not, you know, like when do we enter trades? Do we enter an earnings trade a week before earnings are announced, the day before earnings are announced? Do we enter them the day after (laughs) earnings are announced? Is that a better trade entry? So we really kind of, you know, stuck it to earnings trades and really tried to dig in and, and again, do a lot of in-depth research, which I think is what is becoming more of our bread and butter here at Option Alpha. It's not this one-off, like, you know, little test here, little test there. We really want to do some kind of like groundbreaking research on this and, and really kind of close the book on some of these things once we're done, because uh, I think that ultimately helps you guys. So what we're going to do in this podcast today is just go through all of the results for these uh, three different tickers. We're going to kind of go through high level stuff. Obviously, I'm not going to go line by line and tell you each exact setup that they had every single earnings event. But I think some of the uh, overall averages will definitely help out, especially just kind of understanding if if actually doing a long option buying strategy actually works in this case. Um, and I think what you'll find is that you know the the information here is is pretty interesting as far as how it kind of turns out. So uh, the first one that we're going to go through is Apple. Uh, again, you can get all of this information or just a, a copy of this transcript if you want to get a copy of this transcript as we're going through it. If you can't get it in your car. Uh, or can't write it down right now, it's over at optionalpha.com slash show 113. So again, just the number 113, optionalpha.com slash show 113. So the first one that we're going to go through here is Apple. So when we went back in time and historically looked at Apple, and you might hear me uh, clicking around here because I just want to make sure I have all the information in front of me as we kind of go through this. Uh, When I went back in time and and looked at Apple, uh, we did obviously the long straddle literally every single time that earnings were present. So all the way back to 2007 through now. So it's a lot of earnings cycle, a lot of different information has come out for Apple. I mean, if you think back to 2007, I mean, that's really when the iPhone, I guess, was really starting to be introduced, right? And so I think Apple stock around that time was around like $94 or so. Uh, So it's had a considerable move. And and it's moved a lot and a lot of new information's come out. So this really for me like challenges the validity of of some of the stuff that we talk about because not only do you have a different company completely what it was in 2007 to what it is now in 2017 or 2018 depending on when you're listening to this, but you have a different market share, you have different dynamics in the market, totally different products, I mean even from when it first came out. So a lot of new information's come out and it's kind of become the sweetheart of of most investors. So this is a good one to test the validity of a of a numbers math-based system like what we try to trade here at Option Alpha. So going back to 2007, we literally entered a straddle the day before earnings and then took it off the next day. That's really as simple as it is. So the day before they announced, whenever they announced, we entered into a long straddle at the money. So if the stock was trading at $90, we bought the 90 put, we bought the 90 call, literally entered into it that day and then closed it right after earnings were announced the next morning. So a pretty simple trade, right? Like there's no funny business here. We assumed in this case, maybe the stock made a huge move. That's what we're testing here in this option strategy back testing case study. 
um, and hopefully things worked out, right? But we, when we ended up getting all of the results back in from all the trading, what we found was that a long straddle in option in um, Apple for earnings only ended up winning 41% of the time. In fact, 41.38% of the time. So that right there, I mean, like right off the bat tells you it's a loser. Like it's a big time loser as far as total strategy win rate. It was really, really a big time loser. And this is this is kind of shocking for me. Not not shocking for me, actually. I thought it was going to be a loser. I didn't think it was going to be a loser as much as it was. Um, I thought it might have had a couple extra wins to kind of really pop that up. But it really was a pretty big loser. The average return when you actually trade this thing out for about 10 years. So if you just kept at it for 10 years, just doing all these straddles, thinking that it would constantly come back, the average return that you ended up generating was negative 1.31. So again, what we see here with this just one case study is that over the long haul, what you end up getting with a long option strategy is actually a negative expected return, especially in a stock like Apple, which has a lot of liquidity and does move. I mean, we saw some pretty big moves in the stock where, you know, the stock was expected to move, say, $4. It ended up moving $10. I mean, we see some pretty big 2x type moves in this stock, but long term, it never moved more than expected on average and, in fact, generated negative returns. So what this also means is that if you had taken the opposite end of this trade, and had done the short straddle instead of buying options, you had actually sold options, you probably would have generated money. You, you least would have won at least 61% or 60-ish percent of the time, right? And probably would have generated a positive expected return. Now, when we go back and we track the pricing of all the straddles, what's interesting is that the straddle price before earnings on average was about $15. So again, that's over a long period of time. That's over lots of market movements and price adjustments. I mean, Apple went through splits and stuff like that. Um, but it was about $15 was the average straddle price that Apple uh, had before earnings. When you look at the straddle price just directly after earnings, when the stock started to open open up and, and get some liquidity, the straddle price ended up going down to about $7.95. Now, that's the exact same straddle. That's not like the new straddle around the new price. It's the same straddle that you would have theoretically entered into. So, most of the time, you ended up having a pretty significant loser on your hands. It was only a couple nice, really big winners that helped keep this thing basically like just underwater. I mean, like if you take out a couple of the really big winners, I mean, it was probably a 15, 18% loser on a return basis. So not too good at all for Apple if you are a long option buyer. What we also saw and we also tracked, and this is just a couple of things that we tracked, um, we also tracked expected moves. So we went back through all of the historical earnings and we calculated the expected move right before the options or the earnings were announced. The expected move on average for Apple was about $5.16. And when it actually moved, it actually moved on average $4.80. So pretty close pretty close, but you do see that there is a spread there that Apple underperformed the expected move. So the market on average expected Apple to move about a little over $5 and it actually moved a little under $5. So again, just a really good case study here of, of how, you know, again, long-term these numbers, you know, work out and you got to go through a couple cycles where, you know, things, uh, you know, just work your way. And this is why trading small is so important. This is why, you know, position size is so important and getting a lot of diversity because you just don't know when it's going to make a big expected move and when it's going to underperform dramatically. What we did see often in here, and we'll talk about this towards the end, 
as well is we did see in Apple that it had a lot of occurrences where the next sequential earnings season or the next sequential earnings announcement followed by a big move usually ended up being a smaller move. So in the case of Apple uh, back on uh, January of 2013, it had a huge move of $10. That was the actual move. And then the next earning cycle, it only moved about a dollar. I mean, so we have these like back and forth like action where it has huge moves and then sometimes it doesn't, right? The markets expect a huge move the next time and then it doesn't. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Again, it just, I don't know, maybe like underlines the tone of what we're talking about that you just don't know when those moves are going to happen. So you just have to keep trading. One, you have to not you know, take yourself out of the market. And then two, you have to realize that uh, you don't know when those big moves are going to happen. So you got to keep your position size really, really small. All right. So that was covering Apple. The next one that we're going to go over is Facebook, ticker symbol FB. Now, we don't have as much data on Facebook because it didn't really come out until, uh, I think I have the data here, it didn't really start announcing earnings until 2012, I believe, is when they actually announced their first earnings uh, late in 2012. So that's only when we have the data too, but it still kind of proves a point. And it helps because if it doesn't have as much data, maybe the market, I don't know, didn't expect you know Facebook to do a lot. Uh, so we have that kind of information in the back of our pocket. Uh, so Facebook, when we did this, same long straddle option strategy, entering a long straddle right before earnings were announced, exiting it right after earnings were announced. We found that the strategy only won 27% of the time. So again, a huge, huge miss for Facebook um, percentage wise for these straddles. It just, I mean, like, I don't know, the numbers like, I'm just, I'm not shocked. Like, but I just say like, I'm shocked every single time I see this because it just, you know, reaffirms what I continuously talk about. And and hopefully we can see this in more of the data as we start digging through it. But, you know, these things just don't move as much as, as we think. And they, these long option strategies just don't perform as well as we think over time. Annual return wise, if you would trade this long straddle, basically from the time Facebook started announcing earnings until now, you would have had a negative return of 0.70 annually. So again, not a good strategy. And what we saw again with Facebook, as we saw with Apple, was that only a couple months ended up being the determining factor to keep that thing above board. If you missed a couple of those really, really big moves where Facebook just like absolutely crushed it and you know moved much higher than expected, then uh, you probably would have had a much more negative return trading these long options. Obviously, on the counter side, if you would have traded the short option strategy, it would have worked out pretty well. You would have generated positive expected return because a long strategy was a big time loser. When we looked at straddle pricing for Facebook, on average, the market was uh, pricing in these straddles right before earnings of about $5.62. So pretty decent move. And then after the market uh, or after Facebook announced earnings, the straddle pricing went down to $1.78. So a pretty significant crush in pricing of these options. And I think this is really the key with Facebook because what we'll talk about here in a second with expected move uh, was that you know the crush in the volatility and the crush in the uh, straddle pricing is really why this thing was a big time loser and why it was a really, really good winner for option sellers. So if you consistently sold options in Facebook this whole time, you actually won pretty decent money um, and made a pretty decent income on on doing that. Where I think the shocking one with Facebook here was actually with the expected move. And I'll talk about this here once I go through the stats. But 
We get, again track the expected move in Facebook. The average expected move in Facebook was about $6.47 or $0.45. Cents, and the actual expected move in Facebook was $7.09. So Facebook actually outperformed on average. The one outlier, if you actually take out one of the big outliers where Facebook actually moved about $26, you take out that one outlier and it actually underperforms uh, by $6.16, meaning the expected move was $6.45. The actual move was $6.16. So again, we don't like necessarily take that out, but I'm saying if you could take that out, take out that one outlier, that huge, huge move that it did have early in its cycle uh, back in 2013 then Facebook underperformed. What we've seen more recently is that Facebook has now started consistently underperforming its expected move. We see expected moves of $5, it actually moves three. We see expected moves of $4.50, it moves four. We see expected moves of $4 and it moves one cent. I mean, like that's what we're starting to see with Facebook. And so what I think about with Facebook is that you get a company like this that's just starting out and initially, then the first like couple of cycles, people don't know necessarily how to price the options. It's it's probably pretty hard because you know you're just starting to get a lot of information on this company, and people are just starting to trade it. So in fact, the second earnings quarter that it had, the the second basically the first year after it announced its first earnings, so the second time it went through this July earnings cycle, the expected move was six dollars. The stock ended up moving twenty six dollars. I mean, so a significant. Uh, outperformance and expected in the actual movement versus the expected. But then the market quickly adjusted and started expecting moves of nine or $10 and the stock would only move three or $6. So you can see how quickly this implied volatility is self-adjusting. I talk about this all the time in coaching is that, you know, the market's the best uh, correction or or self-correcting force in the market is just a one-time big move in a stock. So these one-time black swan events or, you know, flash crash up or crash down, whatever you want to call them, gaps up, gaps down. Those are the best things for markets because they then force investors and market participants to readjust or reevaluate how they're pricing risk. And they force them, in most cases, to overprice for the next couple cycles, which is what we consistently see. And that's, a, I guess, a theme that I'm starting to see in some of this research is that when the stock makes a huge move, the next couple cycles on average are pretty good because the market is still expecting a huge move. And so that leads us, obviously, to believe that as Facebook has started to progressively get more data and we've seen more information come out in Facebook Uh, then we start to see it start to trend more towards uh, overpricing the expected move on average. So earlier cycles, still trying to find its way, still trying to figure out what the actual move was going to be in the company. Later cycles, we start to see this this pricing start to solidify a lot more, uh, which was pretty interesting. All right, so last one that we're going to look at here, and hopefully you guys have been enjoying this. If you guys do, let me know. Uh, shoot me a message on Facebook or Twitter. Just let me know if you guys enjoy some of this stuff. It always helps us out. And obviously, just you know, share these episodes online with your friends and colleagues. Uh, but the last one that we're going to do here is Chipotle. So again, Chipotle, my arch nemesis until now, really, because now I understand it a little bit more. And now I have more data to back, back up what I'm doing um, in Chipotle and just keep trading it. But uh, with Chipotle, we did the same thing as with Facebook and Apple. We entered into a long straddle right before earnings, exited the long straddle right after earnings. We saw for Chipotle that its average or the win rate overall, the trading that we did was 35.48%. So again, big time loser to trade the long straddle heading into earnings for Chipotle. 
trying to play the big move didn't work out. The average annual return was negative 2.59, so you lost a significant amount of money actually trading Chipotle, which was pretty pretty incredible because um, Chipotle did have some pretty big moves, uh, but those moves just never overshadowed the small winners, I guess in this case, um, and consistently led option sellers to be the beneficiaries of the earnings trade in Chipotle. Again, when we looked back at the straddle pricing, the average price of the straddle heading into the earnings event was 26.26. So pretty big money for Chipotle. And again, it's a big price stock. I mean, the stock has gone from, you know, the low 60s when we started doing this back testing back in 2007, uh, all the way up to like 600 or 700 and then back down to 400. I mean, so it's a big price security. So the straddles are just going to naturally be more pricey. But on average, we looked at a straddle price of about 26.26. And then after earnings, the straddle price was 11.21. So again, a huge miss. Pricing basically collapsed by more than half, which again is really telling for just like how much money you could make potentially as an option seller during these events um, just long term because options are just overpriced and we just it never prices in that full, full expected move. Now, of course, there are definitely times where Chipotle had a huge move and the market you know, was expecting the stock to move, you know, let's say $5 and it moved $18. I mean, there's huge, huge moves in Chipotle for sure, but it doesn't overshadow what actually happened uh, long-term where the averages played out in your favor as an option seller. Expected move in Chipotle on average was about 701 and the actual move was about 5.28. So again, you can see that the market vastly under uh, performed the expected move. Market participants expected Chipotle to have a huge move in either direction and ultimately it just never um, kind of like lived up to those expectations. So once again, we see this information start to, you know, again, build some threads of consistency across these different tickers. And these are big companies, right? Like these are not, you know, simple companies. And if it was easy for everyone to make money, you know, buying these straddles, then everyone would do it, right? But as an option seller, your risk is that that one or two times that you do it, that it has a big move where market's expecting a $4 move and it moves $18, right? So that's that's what you have with uh, you know selling options is you take on that risk. But we know if we keep our position size small, long-term, the numbers are going to work out in our favor. So hopefully going over these three little case studies has really helped out. I think as I look at just you know this small subset of data, and we'll continue to do more live streams on this, uh, we'll definitely talk about it more with elite members and strategy calls and live Q&As as we get and go through more information. But one of the things that I've seen in this research, and, and hopefully I will continue to see, or, or maybe I'll see and again report back to you guys, um, two things I think are, are really kind of like obvious is that one... After big moves, we start to see expected moves and start to expand, and then the stock actually makes a smaller move next time. So that's something that we're going to go back through and start really, really tracking to see you know, how often that really happened. Is that really a pattern that we can trade off of? But generally speaking, when I look through the numbers, when the stock has a huge move and kind of outperforms the expectation, meaning the market was expecting, say, a $2 move and the stock moved $10, it's generally the next couple of cycles that end up being fairly quiet, right? And so that either means for us is that if we do find ourselves in a quiet period where the stock has performed really well, we should maybe be careful that it could surprise us here shortly. 
And likewise, if the SOC has been really, really uh, volatile and has outperformed and, and moved more than expected the last couple cycles, that means also that we could be potentially more aggressive because it might underperform heading forward. The other thing I saw generally is that there is this lag time between um, the market kind of catching up. Remember, earnings trades only happen four times a year. So the market participants don't really get a lot of data throughout the year to make changes to expectations and to the way they trade, right? And and I'm saying me and you, people who buy these options, uh, funds, financial firms who buy these options, they we don't get a lot of data during the year. So a lot can happen between, say, 2010 and 2012 when there's only eight trading cycles, right? Eight earnings trading cycles. So I think there is this lag time that that is starting to exist in most cases where um, the trades or, or the expected moves are lagging some of the information. Meaning, if the stock has a huge expected, you know, a huge move after earnings, more than expected, it might take an, a cycle or two for the option pricing to catch up, and for the option pricing to kind of realize that hey, this is the new normal. The new normal is maybe a ten dollar move versus the old normal was a $5 move. So hopefully that concept makes sense. But I think that, you know, like at the end of the day, looking at all this stuff, I think what really is powerful for me and kind of going over this and hopefully is powerful for you guys is just realizing how uh, much these numbers gravitate towards what they should be on average long-term. I mean, it's it's such a long-term game. It's not even funny. Like I, I still don't even, maybe I don't even grasp it as much as I say I do, but it is such a long-term game and just a numbers game. I need to be more aggressive in just straight up trading options around earnings and probably being more aggressive with implied volatility. But in the case of Chipotle, not every single trade was a IV rank above 50 heading into earnings. So we tracked all that. We know where all that stuff was as well. And even in cases where implied volatility was say 28 heading into earnings on a scale of one to a hundred, still ended up being a fantastic winning trade. And so the over expectation of implied volatility is still present in low IV rank setups. I don't know if they're actually 100% better to do, you know, over 50 IV setups versus under 50. That's something that we'll continue to get more research on and, and more data on and start to, you know, give you guys that information and that news when we get it. But what I definitely notice in doing at least this little mini case study with you guys here on the podcast is that you have to consistently trade and you just got to keep your position size small. You just have to literally work the numbers as much as humanly possible for as long as humanly possible. Um, and in the end, it ends up working out pretty well. So I'm looking forward actually to trading these three um, and continue to trade them, obviously moving forward as well as some of the other ones that we've gone through in our research. Hopefully you guys really enjoyed today's podcast. I think we haven't done one like this where we've done kind of a really in-depth case study and some of the research that we've been doing. But again, as we start doing more research and and start publishing this for you guys, I hopefully you guys enjoy these little things that would help you out and kind of lead you in the right direction and and help you learn how to fish for yourselves. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. I had a quick question about debit spreads and credit spreads. Given a low implied volatility environment, let's say below the 50th percentile, 
Would it be more profitable to trade debit spreads or credit spreads? Thanks a lot. All right. So, hey, thanks for the question. Um, so today, as you guys noticed, it was an anonymous question, which you guys can obviously ask if you have questions too. You don't have to leave your name. Some people do leave their names, which is great and where they're from. And I love that. But, but if you don't want to, and you just want to ask a question, that's totally cool too. You can leave it anonymous. So again, the question here was, is it more profitable to trade debit spreads or credit spreads in low IV? Absolutely. Emphatically, it's credit spreads. Credit spreads are still option selling strategies. We still know, and we just even talked about with these earnings trades, is that implied volatility is still over uh, anticipating a market move, meaning it's out uh, over expecting a market move, even during low implied volatility scenarios. But that edge is just a little bit smaller, right? So what that means is that during low implied volatility markets, you're not going to make as much money per trade as you would during a high implied volatility market. So you just have to scale back your position size to account for that, right? doesn't mean do more. It definitely doesn't mean do more contracts to make up for it because that'd be more risk. It means just scale back your position size, but still keep active and still keep trading. Now, I have nothing wrong or there's nothing wrong with trading debit spreads if you want to, but just make sure they are pure directional bets and keep them super, super small and make sure that whatever directional bets you do now fit well into your overall portfolio. So if you go long on something, make sure that your portfolio needs something to be long on. Recently, we just went long on FXI, and that's because our portfolio needed a long position. It needed a um, position where we were bullish on something. And so we went bullish on FXI, and that ended up working out pretty well. So again, thanks for submitting your comment and question. Again, if you guys would like to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and Periscope, as I've already started doing, please head on over to optionalpha.com and click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. I think we have right now uh, a pretty good handful of questions in place, but we are running a little bit low because we've been answering a lot of them on the daily call uh, podcast as well and on Facebook and Periscope. So uh, this is your chance. If you do have a question you want to get on the show or just get me to answer, head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask. Uh, click the big red button in the middle of the screen and leave me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install. It's super, super easy. You can do it on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, and it's very easy to get me that voicemail. Now, again, before we get into the closing bell segment, I want to let you guys know about your special podcast freebie today, which is our ultimate option strategy guide. If you haven't already downloaded this or if you're new to Option Alpha, it is literally our A to Z guide that kind of walks you through our entire system and model around how we choose option strategies, how we look at implied volatility, et cetera. Again, it's completely free, so you can get it by going to optionalpha.com slash ebook or by texting in the word strategies to 44222. So again, it's just one word, strategies, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S to 44222. So let's get into the closing bell. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so in today's closing bell segment, I want to go over a new trade that we're getting into here in XLF. Uh, we're actually getting back into this trade for January expiration. Not that we got out of it, but we've traded XLF and it didn't work out well last time in December. We actually closed the December trade for a loss, uh, but we know just you just have to keep trading, right? So like I'm not shy about that. Like we have losing trades, right? Like I think 
Everybody who trades professionally has losing trades. And what we have to do, though, is we have to stay active and maintain a high level of activity so the numbers work out over time. We don't stop midway and, you know, cut ourselves short or cut ourselves, you know, too long. So in this case with XLF, we're getting right back into another short premium position. We're doing the iron butterfly in XLF because implied volatility is a little bit elevated, but the long options on this thing are just too cheap to ignore. So it's basically like a short straddle where we are selling the 28 calls and selling the 28 puts, which is effectively at the money for XLF. And then the long options we're buying are the 30 calls, which is just $3 above our short strike for four cents and the 25 puts, which is just $3 below our short strike on the put side for seven cents. So in this case, it's like a straddle with very, very cheap protection, which is effectively what it is. And I like doing these even during periods of high implied volatility because honestly, like it's just too cheap to ignore those long options that are just like four and seven cents. I mean, you cut a significant amount of risk margin required in the position to carry it uh, by just, you know, outlaying just like basically like 11 bucks of premium. So, okay, we cut our premium down by $11 per contract whoopee, but we cut our risk significantly. We cut our margin requirements significantly, and we can effectively do more contracts and potentially pin this thing right around 28. So we're doing a handful of contracts in XLF. This is probably one of the first ones that we'll do here for the January expiration. We might ladder into another position in XLF uh, depending on where the stock moves. But look, I mean, financials have had a, a pretty good move here at the end of December. And so for us, what we want to do is we want to, you know, potentially assume or participate in the fact that they've made a huge move higher and maybe are in a new range around 28. And if they are, then this potential strategy has the opportunity to make some pretty good money. So again, we're doing the Iron Butterfly and XLF centered at 28. So 28 calls and 28 puts and then buying options on either end, $2 out on the call side and then $3 out on the put side. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show113. Again, that's just the number 113, optionalpha.com slash show113. Until next time, happy trading.